Location, location, location. That's all you need to know about real estate, right? Not even close, my friends. We get a bit into the weeds, but let's talk about the all cash plan, the rental debt snowball plan, the buy three, sell two, keep one plan, and the trade up plan. How do you buy your real estate? Residency can be such a letdown when it comes to building your financial foundation, but it truly doesn't have to be that way. If you're a physician wanting to take control over your financial future and take back the freedom you deserve, come hang out with this money nerd. No long hours or sleepless nights. Just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and welcome back to the show. If it's your first time here and you end up enjoying the show, which I hope you do, make sure you subscribe. And for all of you longtime listeners and community members, thank you so much for being here. You guys are amazing. Before we go talk to another Plutus Award winner and host of the Real Estate and Financial Independence podcast, let's tackle that super important disclaimer. I want you all to become superstars when it comes to your finances, but I really don't want you to take advice from me on this show. Use this as an educational tool that provides general hints. I only give advice to clients who I actually work with that I know something about, and I'm guessing you're not one of them. Honestly, I don't think you should take advice from anybody on the internet who doesn't actually know you. If you're a physician that's looking for an advisor to help you and walk with you on your journey, go to physicianwealthservices.com and we can definitely talk about it there. But until then, talk to your legal, your tax, or your financial advisor to obtain specific advice. By the way, we talk about tons of different aspects of student loan repayments and real estate and taxes and other means to create sustainable financial life, but there is no guarantee of future results based on actions that you may take from the show. So again, don't take actions from the show. It's important to talk to somebody who knows you and your unique situation. Our guest is one of the smartest guys I've talked with on real estate. We nerd out a ton on it. He has a killer podcast, a blog, a free course, which he's invited all of us to join at coachcarson.com slash Ryan, which was cool. I got to feel all important. And since we recorded this, I was able to jump in and check out what he's been producing, and I'm totally hooked. I love the way he explains things. He takes some really complex real estate terms and the structures. He even breaks down the analysis of deals. It's been fantastic. So you are going to absolutely love Chad, and we are going to be discussing the four approaches to real estate, including the all-cash plan, the rental debt snowball plan, which was a fun one the buy three, sell two plan, and the trade up plan. Let's hear from our sponsor. The sponsor of this episode is the Doctors Unbound podcast hosted by Dr. David Jorginas. And David was on the show a while back where we nerded out on all the great Airbnb investments that he has made and how that has actually outperformed long-term buy and hold rentals. It was a fascinating show. David's super smart. And if you're interested in learning more about how amazing physicians are living an unbound life, check out the Doctors Unbound podcast on the same podcast app that you're listening to me right now on. All right, let's go hang out with Chad, aka Coach Carson. Chad, what's up, man? Thank you so much for coming on the show. Excited to have you here. Thanks, Ryan. It's awesome to be here with you. 
Can't wait to nerd out on real estate. So it's it's fun. We both met each other at FinCon a couple of years ago, and somehow we've both been nominated for Plutus Awards. And last year, we both lost. <laughs> and then this year, you won. I obviously lost, but I was happy for you sitting next to you and your wife and uh, happy you, you won. What did you win for? So uh, the best real estate blog, which I was excited about. I was there sitting with you in the road the last two years and we had, we had the ups and downs, but uh, yeah, it was, it, it was a big honor to be nominated and, and voted on by, by our peers. Of course. And you took home the big W, which is awesome. And as we were sitting, you know, and getting to know each other, I was like, I have to have you on the show. We have to talk real estate. Of course, I like nerding out on this stuff. And of course you do too, uh, you know, with an, an excellent podcast, the Real Estate and Financial Independence podcast, which if you haven't heard of it, check it out. Chad runs an amazing show over there. But I get asked all the time because people know that I love real estate. You know, why don't I just buy 10 units, 10 houses, you know, eventually over time, just rent them out and then, you know, just have all this cash flow to kind of live off of. Like, why isn't that a strategy? And I look at them like, well, that is a strategy. And there's lots of people who like to do that stuff. And you've come up with like four different ways to kind of accomplish that. And so why don't you just tell us what the four ways are quickly called? And then I definitely want to dive into each one specifically. Sure. So I get a lot of people who like that simple plan as well. And people start from the end. They say, yeah, I would like just to have 10 rental properties or five rental properties, but how do I do that? And so I've spent a lot of time on my blog and this, this is not original to me. Of course, we I just kind of borrow ideas and repurpose them. But four of the ways that I think cover a lot of different strategies or approaches to real estate, one is called uh, the all cash plan. And so the all cash plan, if you, just in short, if you think about like the Dave Ramsey, I'm never going to use any debt for any kind of real estate investing type strategy. That's the all cash plan. And we, we can go into details about it. Another one that's similar to that is called the rental debt snowball plan. And so people have probably heard of the debt snowball. If, you, if you're into personal finance at all, it's people take their credit cards and they, you know, they stack up all of their debts and they say, I'm going to pay off one at a time. And I'm just going to attack one debt at a time. And once I free up the payment on one of those debts, I'm going to add that to the snowball where I use my cash flow to pay off the debts a little bit more aggressively than I normally would. So you can do the same thing with rental properties. So we can unpack that one a little bit. Another one. So these other two where, are where you get a little bit more, I'll call it aggressive, but it's you can do it pretty conservatively, but you're using a little bit more debt in these last two strategies. And so one of them is called the buy three, sell two plan. And it's essentially where you use short-term rental properties where you, you buy more than you need. You just buy some extra rental properties, you hold them, you sell off a couple of them, use the money you make from those to pay off the third one. I got a fun story for that one as we go through that and unpack that one. But, uh, you know, continue. What is the fourth one? And then the fourth one is called the trade up plan. And it's actually a little, little more nuanced. It's basically using some of the tax strategies um, that are very beneficial for real estate investing using what's something called a tax deferred exchange. So it's also known as a 1031 exchange. That's the part of the tax code that allows people to sell one property and not pay any tax on the sale of that if you follow the rules and end up replacing that property with a different property. So it's a, it's a way to grow your wealth. All of us probably know that if you can invest without paying taxes, there's a lot less friction, there's a lot less money that you lose along the way. And so it's just it's the kind of real estate version of how to grow your net worth and sell properties without paying taxes on it. 
Yeah. And there's a bunch of cool things uh, and benefits of real estate. There are some downsides and not everyone, I'll just say this ahead of time, like not everyone is meant to be a landlord and that is okay. This is a strategy that we're, we're strategies that we're about to talk about. If you're comfortable becoming a landlord, it doesn't mean you have to do all the work. You could potentially hire a manager, which is what we, Taylor and I do. We have a property manager that helps us with everything. Uh, and John, I don't know, do you have, do you have a manager? Yes, I actually do. I've, I've I've transitioned into the sort of more passive role, but I've I've been investing for eight, almost eighteen years now. Other than being a handyman, I am not handy at all. Like I cannot cut a straight line with a saw. I can't. I can't. I mean, using a power drill is kind of the extent of what I can do. Pretty much, I've done everything else, like all the property management, all the acquisitions, flipping houses. But lately, in the last couple of years, we've outsourced all of our property management to third parties. Yeah. And and that's what Taylor and I do. You know, I can handle the management side, the obviously the finance side and evaluating deals and vetting them and acquiring that stuff's to me easy because I'm kind of in it all the time. But you start talking about tools, I'm toast. So yeah. we have a manager and each one of these things that we're about to talk about, you know, you can do this with a property manager. It might take you a little longer because you're paying out usually a percentage of rent, but we're living proof that you can do some of these. And like I said, I got a fun story for the buy three, sell two, keep one concept, but let's jump into, you know, the Dave Ramsey all cash plan, which I kind of shake my head at, you know, <laughs> but Hey, we'll, we'll go with it. Yeah. So it, it's kind of fun to get in real estate forums and hear people who are really into real estate. When, when you bring up not using any debt, it's just people shake their heads. They're like, Oh, you can't do that. No, real estate's all about using leverage. And they're right in some respects that like if you really want to optimize your returns using some leverage and some safe leverage, I've got some opinions on that, not going too crazy with it, but th- this approach works too. And, and I'll, I'll explain it pretty simply. And this is typically in lower price markets. So if you're going to have to save up 800,000 bucks to buy your first rental property in California or something, it's going to be a little tougher. You could partner up with five people and do something, but it's, it just it gets complicated. So this is typically in a market, you know, I'm in South Carolina, a lot of the southern United States, a lot of the Midwest, places like that, you can still find reasonable properties, reasonable locations in the seventy dollars to $100,000 range, for example. That can happen. And so let's say you saved up enough money to buy a $100,000 property and you bought it for $70,000. You just got a good deal on it. And you rented it for 1000 bucks a month and you're going to pay your taxes, you're going to pay your insurance, you're going to pay your maintenance, you're going to pay for everything. But you have no debt on the property. So whatever's left over, your net operating income is the term we use in real estate. And that's all going to go in your pocket or your bank account. And so the, it's just a slow, simple game. You save up the money. You save up that cash flow. You save up any money you can from your job until you have enough money to buy the next property. And that could be, I've modeled it. It takes it takes a while. This is like a slow moving you know, train in the very beginning. But the thing is, it, it compounds pretty quickly. And, and so after four or five years, maybe you finally have enough money to buy the second one. Now you got two properties, they start adding and kind of like the snowball idea, the longer you go with that, the more it builds up. But the thing about it is, and the reason it appeals to a lot of people, it's a very conservative plan is I, I had a mentor when I first started who always said, you know, it's kind of hard to fall off the floor. And what he meant was like, you know, when you're starting at the bottom, when you're starting conservatively, you have no debt. There's not a lot of ways you can lose. I mean, you can lose money, your price property, your 
rent could go down and everything, but you're not going to have this, the situation where most people go out of business and real estate or really lose money is negative use of leverage where they have a property that goes down in value or the rent goes down in value or something happens and they can't afford to refinance or pay their loan off. So this is a super conservative way. And especially for people who are high, high income earners, if you're very conservative, conservative and a high income earner, your engine of growth is your salary. And so if you can just funnel a bunch of money into a very conservative strategy of real estate, this could be one that could make sense. Yeah, I like that. So, you know, I mean, obviously everyone listening, they're either making a good income or they're about to make a good income. And I will put my financial planner hat on, you know, make sure that you're doing all the right stuff. You're, you know, have a pay down plan for your student debt, that you're putting money in your 401k, your IRAs and all that. We're talking about the extra money that you will have if you're doing things correctly. And real estate could be one of those things. So I like the all cash plan because essentially you're you're saving enough cash to buy the property outright, just in quick summary of this. And then you're saving all the income from that plus extra savings from your job. Eventually you'll be able to buy another one and you just repeat until you can literally keep doing it until you're done managing or you know, you've achieved the monthly cash flow that you've desired and that you're not using leverage. So there's really not much you can get in trouble with. Yes, your house may go down in value, but ignore the values. You know, if you bought the property correct, right? All the money in real estate's made when you buy. It's not when you sell. So I love this strategy. Let's go to the debt snowball plan. So the rental debt snowball plan is a similar end result. So you're going to end up, let's say, with five properties, 10 properties that are free and clear of debt. The difference is, and I think this is why this one's a little bit more practical, is that you can sort of load up on the front end. So if you use some leverage, you, let's say you had 100000 bucks saved up, you could go buy one property for 100000 bucks, or you could use $20,000 down payments and buy multiple properties using the $20,000 down payments. And in the real world, that's a little bit more practical because real estate goes in cycles and your probably your energy and enthusiasm goes in cycles. And so you, you do a big push for a year or two to acquire five properties, for example. You acquire those five properties, you use your down payment, your good credit to get some loans on those properties. And then the next stage after the acquisition stage is you then take all of your excess cash flow, kind of like we did with all cash plan, is going to be less cash flow potentially because you have some leverage and you're paying your debt down. And then you're going to take all of your extra cash flow from your job again. So it's a very similar strategy as well. But here's the difference. A lot of people go out and get a loan on a property. They go out and get five 15-year loans on their, their rental properties. There's probably nothing wrong with that, but it's not as optimized as you could be. What you could do is get the lowest payment you can on each of those properties, get a 30-year loan, and now take all of your excess cash flow and attack one debt at a time. By taking all of that excess cash flow, you might be able to pay a property, a 30-year loan off in four or five years, maybe three years, depending on how fast you pay it off. And, and that's a really cool feeling. It's, it's cool mathematically because you're using compounding, but it's also cool psychologically. And I, I think that's so underrated, the, the psychological side of investing, because this is a long haul. I mean, this is like, you know, even a five to 10 year journey on real estate investing or any investing is a long haul. You've got to stay the course. And so having some psychological, you know, milestones or, hey, I just paid a property off. Let's go celebrate. Let's let's do this. And you, know, you see your bank account started getting bigger because that $700 mortgage payment you had or $500 mortgage payment is now wiped out. Even if you stop today after one property, 
you have moved ahead. You've moved towards your goals. You've moved forward. And so I like that flexibility. So if, if life happens and you you can't keep going, you can stop and start and kind of get back into it. But the end result is that maybe within 10, 12 years, you could have all five of those properties paid off, depending on how aggressive you get. And there you are. Like 10 years later, five properties, 10 properties paid off. And you now have a, a portfolio of properties that are producing very conservative, steady income for a long time. Yeah. And so with this one, it's, you know, you're bringing out five different properties. Most people would think, and, and even myself included, before I actually have done this math a while back when I was looking at my own properties, that you would be like, well, a 15 year, I'm going to get a much better interest rate. Yeah, my payments are higher, but I'm going to pay a lot less interest. But in this case, and again, it's just math, which is always fascinating to me, that if you actually pay these in basically the strategy of paying one at a time and letting the other four kind of ride at a lower monthly payment, that snowball approach eventually one gets paid off, then two gets paid off. It happens a lot quicker that you might even pay it off quicker than the 15 years that you would have gone the other way. Even if your interest rate was lower, you're still going to come out ahead. I love it. And the idea of gamification, once you pay one off, it's getting that in motion. It's all things in finance. I would love for everyone to really grasp this concept that once you get in motion, that's one, the hardest thing. But two, once you see small success, it builds on itself, it feeds, and then you get really excited and you're motivating. And then all of a sudden you're going to start wanting to do more of it. Maybe you save a little bit more from your job. All right. I love this last part that they'll do. And then we'll jump into the next one is that you're not telling people to quit their jobs, right? You're not saying like, oh, this is real estate. You're going to do this all passively. Oh, and by the way, you can quit your job. Like, no, the job is what's fueling a lot of this. So let's, with that recap, kind of jump into this buy three, sell two, keep one. I love this strategy and this is the strategy I did on my own. So I'm, I'm excited to talk. Yeah. About I want to hear your story. So I'll, I'll tell my version of the story and I'm curious about yours as well, Ryan. Your story probably better than mine. <laughs> Who knows? But uh, yeah, we I've actually done all of these strategies to some extent. These first three more than the last one. This one in particular. So the buy three, sell two, keep one. In essence, is exactly like it sounds. You, instead of you using the engine of the rental income to pay off the loans, that's what we did with the debt snowball, and that's what we did with all cash plan. This is essentially taking advantage of buying a property at a lower price or increasing the value of the property that you buy. So you're, you're creating a spread, you know, buy low, sell high. That's really the essence of the buy three, sell two, keep one. So if you're, if you're good at buying properties low, even if, if you could just uh, buy a rental property that breaks even, maybe even if it was a little bit negative, I don't recommend negative cash flow, but I'm particularly thinking about people in higher price markets who have a lot of a big challenge with buying properties that cash flow, it makes sense. The buy three, sell two, I think is one that could work pretty well in higher price markets where you could buy a $500,000 property, this kind of entry level home, you just got a really good deal on it and you bought it at 400,000 bucks, you rented it out for a few years or maybe you even lived in it and then you could sell a couple of those and capture that equity that you generated and use that to pay off some debt on the third property and lock in lock in those gains. And so that's essentially what it is. It's, we could kind of get into more detail, but that's what I, my business partner and I, when we first transitioned, we were house flippers. So we would go out and buy a property, fix it up, sell it, buy a property, fix it up, sell it. And what we found was that number one, it's a lot of work. Once you sell that property, you put the money in the bank, you have to go do it again. And so that was one problem. The other problem was that it wasn't tax optimized. 
that all of the tax code is basically built for long-term investing. It's built for buy and hold investors. And just to explain that in just a nutshell, for people who aren't familiar with the tax code, there's something called a capital gains tax. And at least in 2019, when we're talking here, and I could, in the foreseeable future, this is probably going to be the case, that the capital gains tax, even for high earners, is much lower than the ordinary income tax that you make in a salary job. So particularly for some of you listening who are going to be high earners, you're going to be in the top tax brackets. If you can pay capital gains tax at 20% instead of your ordinary income tax rate at 40%, that's a big deal. And so that's what we took advantage of when we finally start holding more properties instead of flipping all of them. We were able to hold them for a couple of years, two or three years, and then still sell them at a higher price. But in the interim, we rented them. And so we were able to keep more of the money that we had instead of flipping it. And we were also able to use the reason the strategy of paying off the third one is helpful is because sometimes that money slips through your hands when you keep on growing forever and forever and forever and always goes to the next property, the next property by plowing it back and using it to pay off some debt. It's more of a conservative move, but you're locking in and now you're keeping one of those as a long-term property and then you can do the whole thing over again. Yeah, it's taking some chips off the table. But if if you guys have followed along here the, between the all cash plan, then you took, you know, with no leverage and debt snowball, you had some leverage. Here, this one is a little bit more risky than the last two, right? We're kind of building up in that risk tolerance, if you will. But I love this strategy. So I'll get into my story here just for a second. And I will tell you that some of this happened by luck. I actually think all real estate, a little piece of it is luck. And whether you're negotiating a deal or whatever it may be. At this point, it was a little bit of luck on different timing issues because I am just like in our stock investments, time in the market versus time in the market. Even the tax code favors time in the market, even with real estate. But with ours, we had ended up, and this is actually an interesting story because I was just talking to someone yesterday who was talking about a physician mortgage which is on your primary home. And I've done a show on this before, but just a quick recap for those that maybe missed that show. Banks know that physicians are, are good borrowers. They're used to having debt, which is sad, but true, and that they're going to pay it back. So what they've essentially done is they do a lender paid PMI. You do not have a PMI as a borrower. You can put 0% down up to like, I don't know, the banks are different, but like 750K on a primary residence. And maybe you pay a quarter point or 0.25% more for the the option of basically putting nothing down. Well, our first house, and it does not make you a bad person if you do this, you have to be responsible with the amount of debt. And I think with all these strategies, you need to be responsible when you're taking out debt. But we had taken out debt. We had bought our primary residence. It was in Carlsbad. It was stupid cheap for the area, sub 500,000. And essentially within 14 months, it went up almost $200,000. And immediately I'm looking to Taylor. I'm like, we need to sell. <laughs> and what we did was, is we took the money that we had. We took a little bit of it and we lived a little bit better, a little more comfortably, but not much, literally like less than 10%. She wanted more. I didn't let her go with more. And we bought three properties in Las Vegas, which is where my whole family's from because they hadn't had that bump yet. This is, you know, in 2013, 14 timeframe, Vegas hadn't recovered from the the bust that they had. I mean, prices went and got crushed. People were way overpaying and paying like 350,000 for a house. And at the bottom of the market, those were trading at like 120,000. So it right there was a real bad use of leverage for those buying at 300, 350,000. But so we ended up buying three properties 
And we still own one today, but we sold two of those properties after a few years because, again, we got lucky with timing. I thought it would take longer than it did, but the town had its nice you know, run up in value and we sold two. But instead of paying off the one, like we would be talking about recommending here, we paid off all my wife's student debt. So it was a way more aggressive strategy than I would ever recommend to, to really anyone else unless your risk tolerance is through the roof like ours is. But I love this buy three, sell two, keep one concept because you can always take some chips off the table, right? You're still building a portfolio, but you're not just get, you know leverage on the entire time. You're taking some chips off by paying one off and then you go do it again. So I think this is probably my favorite strategy of the four you have because it's it keeps you in the game, but always being a little more conservative, taking a little bit off the table and then getting back in. I love how you use it to pay off the variation on paying off the student debt instead of the the mortgage debt. That's cool. And that fits into your plan. Do, do you mind if I add a variation to this plan that might be interesting for some some of your listeners? Yeah, sure. So one of my favorite ways to get into real estate investing, particularly if you're early in the game, you've never bought a property before, I always like to push people to use their principal residence as a hybrid investment. And so here, here's what I mean by that. Um, one of the the cool ways to use your residence. If you if you find a property that you think uh, is either in an up and coming area, or let's say you bought a, a fixer upper, it could just be a cosmetic fixer upper. It's livable as it is, but you're in an older neighborhood. The kitchen just needs to be redone. The baths need to be redone. The landscaping's horrible. You know, there, you can find properties like this where you know fixed up properties sell for a lot more than the properties that need a lot of work. And so it's cool if you can move into the property. Going back to the tax code, one of the the best parts of the tax code, I think, in the United States is that if you live in a property, if you move into it, it's your residence for two out of the last five years, then you're exempted from paying capital gains tax. And the, the total is for an individual is $250,000 in gain tax-free. And for a couple who files jointly is $500,000 in gain tax-free. And so the variation is if, if you're willing to do this, again, you're going to borrow some money probably to buy your principal residence. But if you're willing to not settle into your dream house for at least, you know, just put it off for five years or so, you can move into a fixer upper house. You could probably do two or three of those in a row if you're really aggressive. And six years later, you might have made a hundred thousand bucks per property tax free. You've got several hundred thousand bucks that you can then use to knock out debt on a rental property, student debt, you know, whatever the case might be. But I, I really like that path of using your residence because you got you have to live somewhere. And a lot of your peers are going to be going and buying the dream house right off the bat. And if you could just be a little smarter, because re your residence is a huge chunk of your budget, your, your normal outgo. And if you can be a little bit smarter with it and have a strategy like we're talking about right here, kind of a wealth building strategy that you can use with your, your residence, it can make a, an enormous difference down the line. Yeah. And this is something that you're even talking about, like maybe not even having long-term rentals. So maybe you're a landlord for a little bit of the time, but not uh, the whole time. So if you're on the fence, like you said, you have to live somewhere. It is a good piece of your take-home pay, right? And and we've talked a lot, like we had the, the dreaded B word show where we talked about budgeting and what that would look like. And we say, you know, make sure your your residence isn't your mortgage and principal interest tax insurance, all that good stuff isn't more than like 25% of your take-home pay because you have other th responsibilities and things you have to pay off. But I like the strategy of being able to do that. And that's honestly how we were able to, to kind of roll more money in without having to pay Uncle Sam, you know, what he wanted. So the last one here is the trade-up plan. 
So th this is probably the most aggressive one. And the people I, t I typically see who would work this plan are your either they're a full-time investor or they're just, they're all in on real estate and they, maybe it's a spouse who does real estate, the partner doesn't and they, they just, but they're, they're all in on it. And the, the way it works, it's, it's essentially using kind of like the buy three, sell two, keep one plan. You're using the concept of buying low and selling high, but very often you're, you're, you're turning around rental properties. So maybe you buy a quadruplex or a 10 unit building, a multi-unit building or a commercial property that is undervalued because the rents are too low or the property needs fixing up and you turn that property around and it might take a year or two to do that. And once it's stabilized and the property value has gone up, you then get the property ready to sell, you sell it. But the issue is if you sold it, let's just say you made a hundred thousand dollar gain on this property. If you did that, you'd have a, at least a 20% capital gains tax on that. You'd also have some other taxes that go into real estate, like depreciation recapture and some other things you have to figure out. But you're going to lose part of that $100,000 to taxes, which means you have less money to reinvest in the next property. So if you can use what's called a 1031 tax-free exchange, which is not a super simple thing to do, you know, you have to hire a third-party intermediary to help you. You've got some timelines you have to, to hit. You have to have a 45-day window to identify and then a property that you're going to buy. So it's kind of like dancing, a, you know, walking a line there to, to do it. But if you can do it, you can then buy another property and, and basically kind of trade up. So you're going to go from like a $200,000 property into a $400,000 property and use your gain uh, from the last property as a down payment on the next property. And so essentially you're, you can almost think about it like your, your wealth is building on top of each other tax-free. You're taking your equity and your gains from one, you're kind of taking it into the next one. Hopefully you can do the same thing with the next one. And then that grows a little bit bigger. And so maybe three or four properties down the line, maybe that's 10 years later, eight years later, your wealth that maybe started with a hundred thousand bucks has now turned into 500,000, a million bucks. And it's using some leverage, it's using a lot of entrepreneurship, but for the people who do that, they can really grow quickly and grow their net worth a large amount. Yeah. And you said on it, but I want to I want to kind of drive this home really quick. These are usually for people who are extremely aggressive or they are working this full time. This isn't like a passive strategy at all. You're not taking any risk off the table. You keep pushing all your chips in. It's kind of, I'm going all in. I now have sold this awesome property and I'm rolling all my chips into this next property, which hopefully is bigger and better and going to deliver outsized returns again. And then hoping you can do it again and again and again. It's fine if you're aggressive, if you know, you know that you're not taking any risk off the table, that you're pushing everything in. But I, I'm more of a fan, even though I'm an aggressive investor, I'm more of a fan of the, hey, let's sell some, pay off one, sell some, pay off a different form of debt and kind of always take something off, lock in some gains. You're still going to own real estate, right? The buy three, sell two, keep one. Like you still own that one. It's just now you took risk off the table because you cleared the debt. I agree. And I, I think you mentioned the key thing that I'm going to repeat, Ryan, is just typically you're pushing the risk forward. But in the, the, the nuance to that is... In fact, if you if you reduce the amount of debt you have from one property to the next in 1031 exchange, you actually have to pay you have to pay taxes on that. And so most people still keep the same amount of leverage or more on the next property. They have the same amount of debt or more. So for me personally, I actually did my first 1031 exchange a year ago and I did it on a property where I had a really big gain and it just made sense. I like the idea of combining these kind of plans. So may, maybe you do a 1031 exchange or two. Um, just because you want to lock in those gains, you found another good deal. It was just opportunistic. 
and it just made sense to do it. But then your overall plan might be, for example, to then do a, do a debt snowball or a buy three, sell two, keep one kind of plan after that. You don't have to just play, do one plan. You can combine tools and, and use multiple ones. And I think that, at least me personally, it sounds like you and I are in kind of the same boat risk-wise. I think that tends to make more sense long run. Yeah. And I think as you get more involved and more educated in real estate and you know where the the downfalls are, the pros, the cons, how you can get hurt. And that just comes with time, listening to podcasts, reading books, all that good stuff, and actually doing a deal. You know, some people that I've talked with, especially this concept of why the show even existed uh, that you and I are talking on the subject, they've never bought a property. And they like, well, I just want to own 10 properties. Like, well, have you ever owned one? Do you know what it's like? And Part of it is you just have to get your hands dirty and do it and realize, and don't go crazy. Don't buy three properties all at once. Buy one. If you've never bought anything, buy one, see how it goes, see how to evaluate deals. There's lots of places to learn this stuff. Um, you even have a free course, right? That they can learn with this stuff. I do. Yeah. Cause a lot of people just want to get their feet wet and dip their toes in it. And so uh, on my site, a lot of people just show up and they have all these niches and techniques. And so I, I said, I need to put together some kind of an intro course that's free that takes you through in seven days. And essentially what I try to help people do is start from the beginning. Like, all right, let's start with like the financial concepts, not even real estate. Like, what are you trying to accomplish? Are you brand new as, a, as an investor? Are you about to retire as an investor? Depending on where you are, this strategy might make more sense. And then the next step, now that you've got a strategy, let's talk about your target market. So I try to be very logical with the approach to like first things first, second things second, third. And so if, if people are interested, you can actually go to coachcarson.com forward slash Ryan. I'll have a, a landing page there where you can get that free course. Oh, sweet. I'm going to be famous. This is awesome. Is that, yeah. Well, put your name on the course. Yeah. Watch out doing big things here. I think it's great. And, you know, I mean, you do that because there's just so many questions, even here, like I see a lot of repeat questions and that's when I know, Hey, I need to do a topic on this. I need to do a show on this. Well, I've probably got this question 25 times this year alone. So I was like, well, I need to bring someone else on. That's just not me. Let's talk about real estate. And that's why this one exists. So thank you so much. I, I do have another question. Cause I think this is, and it's kind of a loaded question. You don't have to go too detailed in it, but Everyone always thinks there's always a magic formula or a secret bullet, the, the silver lining. What is it that you can do to shortcut this? And there's not really any shortcuts, but I'm curious. I know I have some of one. Do you have a formula for buying or evaluating a property? Just a quick tip that you could give everyone listening if they're like, hey, I, I know some of this basic stuff. I just want maybe a little nugget of, of something I could walk away with. Sure. Yeah, th there's a lot of different ways to evaluate real estate, but I think just to start, if, so if somebody like this and they just wanted to go searching on Zillow or searching with a realtor, just to start looking at properties, uh, sort of a rule of thumb for a solid rental property that's going to at least pay for itself is something called the 1% rule. And the 1% rule works like this. We, this could be fairly simple math. If you looked at a property and let's say the asking price or what you thought you could buy it for was $200,000, nice round number. Well, when you look at that, the next question you need to ask yourself is, what would that property rent for? And if the property would rent for $2,000 per month, that would be 1% of the price that you're going to pay for it. So you know, 1% is always an easy number. Just move that decimal place over two times, you know, 200,000 to 2,000. If it rents for 2,000 and you could buy it for 200,000, that doesn't mean for sure. There's, a more, there's more things you need to look into, but that's a good indicator that you're close. Or more accurately, a lot of times what happens with me 
I might do the reverse. I'll look at this property and say, oh, that probably probably rents for 2000 bucks a month. And it's listed for 350,000 bucks. I would say, ah, uh, the income's not really good on that deal. You know, maybe it's a good deal because the house is worth 500,000 bucks. But I at least know that's not a great rental deal. That might be like a buy three, sell two, keep one kind of deal, or it might be a flip deal, but it's not a really good rental deal. And so I, I think that's a, a nice intro tool. I use it for screening properties. It doesn't work in every market. If you're looking for properties on the peninsula in San Francisco or Manhattan, you're very rarely going to find a 1% rule property. But if you're looking at commercial properties, if you're looking at multi-unit properties, anything that is a pure investment or a house that's going to be an investment, it's a really good starting point before you dig into to more of the numbers. Yeah, I, I love that one. It, it's a quick gut check, if you will. I definitely use that one as well to look at stuff. And not every market is going to really go with the 1% rule, like you said. I mean, there's no way here in San Diego that I could do that. I would not invest in San Diego myself because I like cash flow and I like appreciation. I don't want to just roll the dice and be like, well, San Diego, it's all speculative here. There, it's just you're hoping for appreciation. Whereas markets like Las Vegas, which is where my whole family's from, it's where I invest, we get some cash flow, not a ton. We get some cash flow and I get appreciation. So I like both in kind of moderation. So, and then the Midwest, you typically get a lot of cash flow and not as much appreciation. Every market's different. And I would not just go out and shotgun the whole US and be like, I'm gonna buy something and let's no, take a you know a certain area. Whether you live in that area or not, take a certain area, learn everything you can about the area, understand the, the A, the B, the C markets, like what's good, what's bad. Can you walk out at night or not? Um, I always look at it as, you know, can Taylor go take a jog at night? If not, me personally, I don't want to buy there. That's just me. Yeah, the cash flow might be a little higher, but I prefer not to. I want to be able to walk outside at night. Yeah, you brought up the ABC. I'm glad you brought that too. That's in addition to the 1% rule. When I'm evaluating a deal, the, the numbers are one part of it. And then what I used to miss as a new investor was I missed the qualitative part of real estate. The fact that it's not all about the numbers. Like the, the numbers are sort of the tail of the dog. You know, like the, the dog itself is the location. And, and so a little thing we can all remember, like there's different markets that are considered A. The A is the best, B, C, D, D would be the worst. I've actually looked at cap rate evaluation of different markets in San Diego. Is like, it's like an A market. There's just tons of people who want to live there. And that's why the prices are also really high. But then you can go to other markets that might be less economically viable, lower population growth, might be a B or a C market. You can do the same thing within a market. So even within San Diego or when, within where I live in the upstate of South Carolina, there are neighborhoods in your town that are going to be A, B, C, or D. And my recommendation to most of you, if you just want to get into a, an investment that's going to have that nice combination of cash flow and appreciation, you know, it would be nice to buy an A market, but you're very rarely going to buy an A neighborhood and get any kind of cash flow. That's going to be your upper end houses, your downtown properties. It's just really, it's a difficult game to play. But if you can buy in the B or maybe the C neighborhood, C, I would define C as like a really healthy mix of rentals and owner occupants. It's going to be like your working class place. It might not be where you live, but it's going to be where most of the people who cut your grass or who are janitors at your school or who do the working class kind of jobs, that's where they live. And some of them own, some of them rent. If you get into the D neighborhoods, it's still good people. There's nothing wrong with people who live there, but they're, they're typically struggling a little bit more with crime. There's, I would say like 80, 90% of them are rentals instead of 50-50. And if you start getting into all rental neighborhoods, if there's crime, 
you probably don't want to invest there. There's people who make money there, but I don't, I, I've don't. i gotten burned in those kind of neighborhoods. And so understanding the distinction between D, C, B in your local market and kind of interpreting it is a really important step that you can need to take and you can get your real estate agent or your property manager to help you with that if you're not familiar. Absolutely. And so for perspective, like in Vegas, primarily where we invest is starter homes, but in areas where it's about a 40% renter to 60% owner mix. And usually our tenants are people who work down at the casinos, bartenders, waitresses, craps dealers, whatever it is. Those are typically our tenants. So we're in good, safe areas that a tailor can go take a jog at night but not the high-end gated communities because those will never cash flow. And, you know, a good healthy mix of renting versus owners. And that that's just what's worked for us. And that is the properties I like. And I know that I'm not earning the most I possibly can because the further down, the A to B to C to D markets, the returns are usually larger or expected, I should say, returns are usually larger. Usually there's more capital expenditures that come with it because things need repairs and there's a lot more issues with those. And I'm just not in the mood or have the effort, time, desire to deal with a lot more issues. So that's what I do. It's not for everyone. This is why personal finance is personal and real estate investing fits right into that. So Chad, thank you so much for being on the show. Just drop in knowledge bomb after knowledge bomb. It is a pleasure to hang out with you guys. Check out his course I already forgot. I know I'm famous, but what was the link? <laughs> so coachcarson.com forward slash Ryan will be the free email course and you can get that. Check it out. Nice. So aside from the course, what else can people expect from you? I definitely think if you guys are interested in here in real estate, I know I talk about it, but this is all Chad talks about. And clearly he's been doing this for almost a couple of decades now. He knows what he's doing. I like some of his perspective because I do read some of those things. Uh, since we last met a couple of years ago, I, I pop in and out. So where else can people find uh, about you? And make sure you mention your podcast. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me of that. So I, I do have a podcast. I just, I'm trying to follow in Ryan's footsteps and I started a f- podcast this January of 2019. It's going really well. It's the real estate and financial independence podcast. I actually publish twice per week. So one is kind of a longer in-depth episode. For example, I had a whole episode on the rental debt snowball, right? I just went into in-depth and showed a case study with that. And then on Thursdays, that's my Monday episode. And every Thursday, I do an, a shorter 10-minute Ask Coach episode. I get a lot of questions these days. You probably do too, Ryan. And, and so to be helpful to people, I'm just taking those questions and answering them on the podcast. And so it could be anything from how do you get more than four loans to how do wholesalers get paid to you know what's the financial independence number for me? And I get all sorts of fun questions that get to do that. And so I answer that on the podcast. I also have a blog, which I've been doing for several years now. And I'm also getting into YouTube, which I I really like. And so some of these same real estate investing, financial independence concepts I'm taking and showing them on a, on a YouTube video. I go out to a property, here's a property, here's what it looks like. I do a, do the debt snowball, but I do it on a video and share the, the numbers and the case studies. So I'm just having fun sharing with people and helping people out and spending time helping other people buy properties. That's awesome. Uh, I got to check out your YouTube. I didn't realize you were doing YouTube. It's new. It's a new thing. It's coming along. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate you being here. Everyone check out his stuff. Got a great free course. And just thank you again for being super fun. This has been fun, Ryan. We need to hang out more often. I appreciate you having me. Be 
Before we get into our recap, I want to cover one digestible tip that'll help you increase your financial acumen and maybe even cause you to take some type of action with your finances. Now, perhaps you've taken the plunge and you're officially a practicing physician as well as a landlord. Up until now, you've been able to, let's say, manage your properties and still see patients every day, which is awesome. But what if plans change and suddenly you find yourself maybe having to move, maybe potentially even pretty far away from your property? There are multiple scenarios where you're a landlord and suddenly find yourself in a position where you're no longer living near the properties that you've purchased and that you've been managing. Now, you could choose to practice medicine in another state or your spouse is a physician and offered a chance to work and maybe on the whole other side of the country. And at first, it may seem like it might be too much of a challenge to balance both a new city and still being a long distance landlord. But with the help of multiple tools, you can actually manage it quite well. So the best thing to do is to make sure that right now you are building up a network of people that you trust to do business with. This is super, super important. This is like plumbers, electricians, any type of handyman service that is needed to keep the home operating smoothly. Even if you're super handy, still get this in place because you never know what would happen. You can also utilize apps that'll help you keep up with the demands of being a landlord. You can even use a phone service that will send calls to a messaging center and allow you to screen them. Super fun, super cool stuff. So don't let moving out of town stop you from continuing to be a smart landlord. Personally, it's been the single greatest thing that we have done in managing our five rentals in Las Vegas. All right, it's time for our recap. And there's so much great stuff here that here's four takeaways I'd love for you to walk away with, which makes sense maybe because Coach Carson gave us four approaches to investing in real estate. So takeaway number one, the all cash plan can get complicated with having to find reasonable properties in affordable locations. But it's obviously been done before. So what this concept means is that once you've saved up enough money to buy the property that you want, you'll have no debt and essentially everything outside of your operating expenses goes to you. And Coach said it best. Net operating income is a term we use in real estate. And that's all going to go in your pocket or your bank account. And so it's just a slow, simple game. You save up the money, you save up that cash flow, you save up any money you can from your job until you have enough money to buy the next property. Takeaway number two, with the debt snowball plan, there's less cash flow, but you'll have leverage. And some people decide to take out a 10, 15 year loan on their rental properties. What should usually be the case is that they take out the smallest possible loan that they can and use the excess cash flow by tackling one debt at a time. And Coach Carson said, this about paying off debt sooner than 30 years. I absolutely loved what he had to say. By taking all of that excess cash flow, you might be able to pay a property, a 30-year loan off in four or five years, maybe three years, depending on how fast you pay it off. And, and that's a really cool feeling. It's, it's cool mathematically because you're using compounding, but it's also cool psychologically. And I, I think that's so underrated, the, the psychological side of investing. Our third takeaway is the third approach, which is kind of a mouthful. You buy three, you sell two, and you keep one. For this approach, you're going to be creating a spread, right? Buy low and sell high. Coach had a great way of putting it. And don't forget what he said about capital gains tax. Using the engine of the rental income 
to pay off the loans. That's what we did with the debt snowball. And that's what we did with all cash plan. This is essentially taking advantage of buying a property at a lower price or increasing the value of the property that you buy. And our fourth and final takeaway is the trade up plan. And this is where you're going to save up cash for a down payment and, you know, the closing costs and reserves, and you're going to buy a property. You're going to let it build some equity over time. And then you're going to sell the property and use a 1031 tax-free exchange to purchase a larger property, hopefully at a slight discount. You repeat and continue this until you meet all of your financial goals. It's kind of like dancing, uh, you know, walking a line there to, to do it. But if you can do it, you can then buy another property and, and basically kind of trade up. So you're going to go from like a $200,000 property into a $400,000 property and use your gain uh, from the last property as a down payment on the next property. Next week, we're going to spend some time with a physician you might already know based on his involvement using locums to combat burnout. He's almost everywhere talking about it. So stick around because on Monday, you're going to hear from Dr. Andrew Wilner, and I know you're going to learn a ton. So have a great week, everyone, and see you on Wednesday. Cheers. Cheers.